In the Apostles' Creed, we confess that our Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And we have an exposition of this in Lord's Day 18 of the Heidelberg Catechism, so we'll read that together. This is page 532 in the Book of Praise. What do you confess when you say, He ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of His disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that He is there for our benefit until He comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as He has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on, and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends us his spirit as a counterpledge, by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. So far, our reading from this confession of the church. After the sermon, we'll respond to the proclamation of the gospel by singing hymn 38, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he records this great event for us, and then he records it again at the very beginning of Acts that at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, while his disciples were with him, surrounding him, he was taken up from them from earth into heaven. And we have this um, mentioned, spoken about in many other places in the New Testament, this bare fact that Jesus ascended into heaven and that he took his place at the right hand of God the Father. And this is something that we have to be reminded of all the time, I think especially for the children among us, that 
Jesus, yes. In his body, he ascended into heaven. He departed from earth and took his place in heaven. He ascended completely into heaven. And this is not a loss for us. It seems strange for that to be able to be true. You know, we imagine what it might be like if either we lived at the time that Jesus was on earth and we walked around with him and his disciples, and if, you know, only we could see with our eyes and hear with our ears Jesus himself, and if we saw the the miracles that he did, the way that he revealed his glory during his ministry, like that would do something for us, for our faith that, that we, we can't seem to, to grasp here. And yet, Jesus departing from earth and taking his place in heaven is not a downgrade for us. He is there for our benefit. It is good for us that Jesus has gone from earth into heaven. If it were the case that it were a disadvantage that Jesus has ascended into heaven, then well, then if you would think we would read something about this in Acts, about how, well, the, or, or even if, um, or you would think that we would read in Acts after the ascension into heaven that the disciples would be brokenhearted about this, that they would, they would be sad and despondent that Jesus had left them and he wasn't going to lead them around anymore as he did during his ministry teaching them the way of God. He was not only their teacher, but he was their, he was their friend. He, he loved them, and he was gone now. We read about their sorrow after his death, and this was, you know, of course, because they didn't fully understand at the time that he had to do these things. He had to suffer and die, and then the third day be raised from the dead. But we don't read sadness after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. We don't read that they were confused and didn't know what to do. He had given them instruction, instructions and he had assured them, I will be with you to the very end of the age. They knew at least in part that this was good for them, that this was necessary. He had told them while he was with them, it is expedient for you or it is of your, to your advantage that I go because then I will send the comforter to you. They understood all of this more fully after he had sent them the Holy Spirit that was promised. It is good for us that Christ is in heaven. And this afternoon we'll hear what the Word of God teaches about the very great blessing and benefit it is for us that Christ is in heaven as our representative. In Lord's Day 18, in the Heidelberg Catechism, In question and answer 46, it is put very simply about what we believe. We confess that Christ ascended into heaven. We have the the bare fact of it here, question and answer 46. What do we confess when we say this? We believe that Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven. Not embellished at all. This is just the bare fact. And then the next line, and that he is there for our benefit. So how is that? How does it benefit us that Jesus is in heaven? 
I want to skip in uh, the catechism from question and answer 46 to the last one that's in um, Lord's Day 18, question and answer 49. As we see in the first part there, it's a benefit for us. Why? Number one, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. And then because of Christ, his Father is our Father. So he is an advocate. He is our advocate in heaven before his and our Father. We have to understand what an advocate is, right? <clears throat> an advocate maybe is, is a, an unfamiliar word, especially to the kids that are here. So what is an advocate, and what does an advocate do? Well, a lawyer is one kind of advocate. A lawyer is someone who, if, if there is, let's say, someone who is wronged, if you have been wronged by someone, and you have to go to a judge, you have to go to the courts in order to, um, let's say, if something was stolen from you, or your property was damaged, or something like that, then you have to go and appear before a judge and, you, and an argument has to be made about how you were wronged and how um, restoration has to be made. And it could be very hard for you know, regular people like us to go to court and, and know all of the fine points of the law and, and make our case before a judge. And so we have somebody to help us do that. And these people are called lawyers or they're called advocates. An advocate knows your case, an advocate knows what you need, and he stands up as your representative, so, so you don't have to, he or she stands up in front of you and speaks to the judge and makes a case for your benefit. That's one kind of, of advocate. Maybe a, a, a simpler way to think about this is, you know, let's imagine that... Um, you're playing outside, so you're, if you're uh, a small child, let's imagine you're playing outside with your uh, little brother or sister who's only, you know, one or two years old, and your mother has given you instructions that you have to stay clean, it's muddy outside, and you have to be very careful and, and, and don't get your new clothes all muddy. Well, a little while later, you come home, and your little brother or sister is covered in mud, and you're your mom is very upset and is about to, um, about to you know, yell at the, the little one about getting himself or herself all covered in mud. And you step in and say, oh, no, no, it's not his fault. It's not her fault. We were, we were playing there by the sidewalk, and a truck came by and, and ran through this mud puddle, and it splashed all splashed all over the place and, and splashed all over your little brother or sister. So you stood in front of your little brother or your little sister and you made the case that um, he or she was not at fault and you appeased your mom and uh, turned away her fierce anger. That's, you were an advocate. You were an advocate for your little brother or your sister. This is... Well, maybe one more example here. Imagine that you are very, very sick, and you have been sick for a very long time, and you have maybe a very rare disease that not a lot of people, not every doctor knows everything about this, this illness that you have, 
but since your parents love you and because they've been with you through all this, they've done all of this research and, and they know everything, they've learned everything they can about the treatment that you need, the kind of medicine that you need, what kinds of things work for you and, and what doesn't. And so your parents, every time they take you to maybe see a new doctor, your parents are going to argue very passionately about what you need. Your parents are going to plead with the doctors and nurses because they know you. They know the things that you need. They will plead to ensure that you receive exactly what you need for your benefit. Your parents are being your advocates, ensuring that you get what you need. These are some of the ways that we have to understand Jesus acts for our benefit in heaven before our Father. We read this in Hebrews 4 and 5 about how Jesus acts as our priest in heaven. Uh, so this is Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, so Jesus is our priest, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Remember the example of, you know, the, the lawyer or or the parent, these are kinds of advocates who know what you need. They know exactly what you need, and they go to bat for you. They know what you are entitled to, let's say in the, in the case of, of uh, a, 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 a battle in court. They know what you are entitled to, and they are making sure that you get it. In the same way, and even more so, Jesus knows what you need, right? That's what we read there. He put on our flesh. In, in every way imaginable, he stepped into the, the human experience. He, he lived life as a man on earth, subject to all the same kinds of things that we are on earth. He underwent every temptation that is out there that could ever come upon a person. He knew the misery of life in this world. He knew what kinds of temptations come upon people and maybe even more importantly, he knows what is necessary to overcome those things. He knows what we need. Sometimes we might be pretty quick to excuse our, our missteps, the sins that we commit. Why, how do we excuse them? We go, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a human being. I have been born with a, a sinful human nature, and really, how could God understand what it's like? God is God. He is all-powerful. He can do anything. He has no weakness in Him at all. He's not God, God is, is eternal, and, and he's so far from being like me, how could he understand what I went through yesterday? And yes, I fell because of that. I slipped up. I messed up. But really, how could God blame me? 
No, God does understand. Why? Because Jesus Christ experienced everything. Everything about being a human being. And he conducted himself perfectly. He knows what it takes. He knows what we need. And he stands in front of our Father and he says, this is what they need. They belong to me. Father, give it to them. The first couple of verses of Hebrews 5 explain just the fundamentals about what, what a priest does. Why, why are there such people called priests? Why is there an idea of, of priesthood? Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So there are people who have to be somehow in relation to God, and a priest facilitates that. So a priest, let's say one of the priests of Israel, a priest, his job was to come near to God, and he didn't come near to God just for himself. No, he, he, he would come near to God and minister before God for the benefit of others. That's what it means to be a priest for someone else. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's our priest who offered the perfect sacrifice to God, the only kind of sacrifice that could make us right with God. He gave his own body. He gave his own life. He spilled his own blood so that we could be in the favor of God, as we heard this morning, so that we could have peace with God and so that we would have the rights to every benefit and blessing that Christ obtained for us. Since all of that is true, since we have a priest like Jesus who accomplished all of this, who, who fixed up our relationship with God our Father, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that you can receive exactly what you need through the work of your priest. Since you are someone who has been justified, since you are someone who now enjoys the wonderful status of having peace with God, you now have access to God's throne of grace. We must be people of prayer. People who go to God and ask Him for the things that we need. That's why Jesus is there. To affix His own name to our prayers. To polish up our prayers, perfect them, and deliver them to our Father with His name signed on them. That's why we, we, we say that at the end of prayers Sometimes we say, you know, we, we pray all these things, we, we lay all of these things before you in Jesus' name. We understand what that means? It means that when we pray, when we, when we send up a prayer to God, our Father, then before it gets to Him, Jesus takes that prayer and signs His own name on it, and it becomes His prayer. 
It's his prayer given to the Father for our benefit. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now we can do this. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus has cleansed us and washed us and made our presence acceptable to God in heaven. He's done this as our priest. He offers prayers, our prayers as his prayers before God. He does this as our priest, and he also represents us there in heaven as the head of the body. So in the second part of question and answer 49 in Lord's Day 18, so this is the second benefit that is mentioned for us. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. We are, we are the body of Christ. That's who we have become through his work. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. Wherever the head goes, wherever the head belongs, the body belongs there too. So this is a comfort and an assurance for us to understand what Christ has gone through, what he has accomplished, and what status he now enjoys. The Son of God took our sins upon himself. He became sin itself for us. He suffered. He shed his blood. He was cursed by God because of our sins. And he was successful in all this. He finished paying for our sins. That was proven by the resurrection from the dead. And he was then accepted into the most holy place of God. So the sacrifice was finished. It was done successfully. And this Lord and Savior that we have, this one who was sin, now is displayed to be perfectly righteous and acceptable into the most holy place of God in heaven. Not the, the copy of it in the temple or the tabernacle, the real most holy place of God. The one that we are united to has gone into heavens, he opened the way for us, and he has gone in, and we are attached to him. He enters into that most holy place with every single one of our names written on him. There's this beautiful picture of all this that God gave like 1,500 years before all of that. So back in the wilderness, in Exodus 28, I want to turn there a moment and just read a little part from there about the priest going into the most holy place of God. 
going into the presence of God. And this is a a description of part of the, the, the high priest's clothing. So Exodus chapter 28, I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. So God is commanding, giving instructions that this is what the priest is supposed to wear. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of the names on the one stone and six of the re- and, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in order of their birth. So these are all of the tribes of Israel. So every tribe of Israel has representation on the high priest. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. Now listen to this. And Aaron, so Aaron is the high priest. Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So we'll read through 12 there. So the high priest in the Old Testament, yes, he was... He was going into the most holy place. He was going into the presence of God. And that most holy place was a picture of heaven itself, the very presence of God. And that picture is the high priest takes all of the people who belong to him, puts them on his shoulders, and carries everybody into the most holy place. How awesome is that? 1,500 years before Christ came, that was a picture that God gave as a promise that the real priest was going to do that. Jesus Christ, our priest, was going to carry all of us into heaven on his shoulders. We read in Ephesians 2 about the very real nature of our presence in heaven. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, I'll read those few verses again. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So Christ is our head, our representative. Whatever he does, we are somehow attached to him and we participate with Christ in all of that. He raised He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God considers you. If indeed you belong to Christ and you are united to him, well then, God considers you to already be seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're you're as good as there. Your name is written in heaven like there's a, a seat for you in heaven with your name on it. It's yours. What an assurance that is. And what confidence that gives us 
to live and walk accordingly now. And you walk out of this place and you think, what, what does God think about me today? Your name is written in heaven. You are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How wonderful to know that in, in all of your struggles and temptations and, and in every difficulty, that during all of those times, you personally are brought before God by name, constantly by our priest, Jesus Christ. You ever think about that? You're going about your stuff in life and at any given moment to think. Right now, at this very moment, Jesus is in heaven talking about me to the Father and saying, oh, this one that belongs to me is, is about to go through something pretty difficult. Father, give this one what he or she needs. When you're about to face temptation, Jesus, who is your flesh, your priest, who knows what you need, exactly what you need, he stands before the Father and pleads for you to receive it. When, when you're mistreated by others here, when life isn't going the way that you would like it to go, or when there's just a cloud over you and you feel maybe not so valuable, when you make mistakes, bad decisions, when you stumble in sin, and you think, how could I ever belong there? How could I ever belong with God? You can know, if you belong to Christ, If you believe in him, your, your sins are washed away and God considers that your name is already there, that you are seated in the heavenly places with the Lord and God, your Father, will preserve you as you make your way there. What a precious thing to know, all of this. Yes, Jesus left this earth in his body. And that's good for us. He ascended into heaven. He took his place, enthroned in glory with all authority, and he is there for us. It is good that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Amen.